0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It's February 10th, 2019, episode 78. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Nick, we've been digging for some news for this week's show. we have a few things
0: we got some Steeler stuff going on the new Steelers schedule the home and road opponents were officially announced so we'll take a little bit of a look at that sort of compare it to what the Steelers have dealt with over the past few years and kind of move forward and then there's some relevant info regarding this uh, another Steeler Troy Polamalu and even another Steeler Heinz Ward uh, some boys Doing uh, some good stuff with this American Alliance of Football, which just started to some—I don't know if you'd say surprisingly good results or um, predictably good results. But we got some stuff to talk about um, with that and how that relates to the NFL and maybe even a potential lockout in the future. Can this lead succeed? Can it not? What's cool about it? There's definitely been some sweet things going on on Twitter um, that that the uh, that the alliance has incorporated into their game as a response to some of the issues the NFL has. So pretty interesting. And we're going to bring you a special feature. You're going to get live in-podcast
1: updates from the Birmingham-Memphis game. <laughs> Birmingham leading right now 9 to nothing in yes. the sixth inning.
0: Live from yesterday. When it's a listening. cool
1: website. They're going to try and do some different things with technology, like you referred to with the LinkedIn. But let's get into the schedule. They didn't announce the dates, but we do know who we're playing at home, and we do know the road games. Obviously, we're going to play the AFC North, but I track this. You know, you can't really predict this this far ahead of time, but it is a mixed bag of some really tough teams and some should-be wins if we weren't other than the Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: So when I look at the schedule, you know that at this point in the season, there's absolutely nothing you can predict. We haven't even gotten into free agency or draft or any training camp injuries or anything like that, and even when you get into the first game of the season – you you still can't predict anything about the schedule. And honestly, it's only until the very end that you can really get a handle over how difficult the opponents are going to be just because injuries change landscapes so much and teams go up and down and um, some of this is situational. But what you can look at when you're looking at the schedule is where you have to go. Do you have to go to some places that are famously difficult to play, like going to play in New England or Kansas City or Seattle? Do you have to play like cold weather games. Luckily for the Steelers, we don't we don't worry about that. Maybe Miami fans have to look at their schedule and see, are they going to have to play cold weather games? Does that affect them? Well, for the Steelers, what we look at is, do they have to play West Coast games? Because any East Coast team, uh, all East Coast teams struggle going to the West Coast and vice versa, but the Steelers, as we pointed out before, are historically the worst East Coast team going West. So first thing I notice is at home on the schedule, The Steelers get the Rams and the Seahawks. So that's lucking out pretty big time. The Rams don't have necessarily a great home field advantage, but that's a far trip for the Steelers. We know how many times we've seen them lose to freaking Oakland going to California. Obviously, a good team like the Rams would cause some problems. And then not having to go to the clink in Seattle, that's big. That's like not having to go to Arrowhead when you play the Chiefs. So those are kind of two victories off the top of the home schedule for sure.
1: So on the road schedule, I'd say that's um, (laughs) – to your point, we are going to the West Coast three times. But one of those is Arizona, if you count that as the West Coast.
0: Yeah, so the road games are the Arizona Cardinals. It will be tough because the Steelers are playing – Yeah, I assume it's going to be a 1 o'clock game and the Cardinals suck and they're on the other side of the country. So it's got everything uh, in the the ingredients list for a Steelers loss there. The Los Angeles Chargers – you would assume that will be a primetime game. I think the Steelers played uh, primetime. That's when Le'Veon had the last-second walk-off touchdown against the Chargers with the Michael Vick-led, I don't know if you can call it offense during that game, but Michael Vick took snaps from the center and and threw the ball into the ground a couple times against the Chargers, and the Steelers won the last time they're out there. So I will say, if it's primetime, I feel a little bit better. But you don't like seeing the Steelers have to go that far have to go back to New England for the first time in a while. Look, the Steelers have beat the Patriots basically 2 years in a row if you talk about the Jesse James thing. Of course they didn't pull it out at the end, but you know, you can make the argument that they played well enough to win. Can you beat the Patriots 3 years in a row? Do streaks like that even really matter? Do they mean anything? N- not exactly. I don't think they do. I mean, you you just you play the team depending on who you have available and how well they're playing that week, but can't deny it's tough to go to new England. Some people are thinking that might even be the opening game of the NFL season. Pittsburgh at new England. Then you got the jets going to the jets. That's a nice little road game. You, you you'll take that uh, quick trip to a, struggling team and then all the way out west to the san francisco 49ers hopefully not to play against antonio brown but that should be tough too because you're going to the west coast and then at home just wrap that up you get the bills at home you get the colts at home you don't have to play them in the dome you get the dolphins at home and then like we said before the the rams and the seahawks so a couple west coast trips out there but you did luck out with the rams and the seahawks being at home
1: speaking of the patriots we picked up ourselves an expatriate For the offensive line, that is Adrian Clem, the new assistant offensive line
0: coach. Yeah, it's nice to hear that the Steelers filled that offensive line assistant um, position because the assistant coach to the offensive line, Sean Surratt, is, of course, now the head honcho. So I'm glad they didn't just put Keith Butler in charge of assistant offensive line coach, which was their solution for the outside linebackers coach. He's a he was a six year NFL veteran. Three-time Super Bowl winner with the Patriots, so hopefully some of that rubs off. It usually doesn't when Patriots <laughs> go to other teams. So, but still, you know, at least he's been a part of something uh, legit, legitimate there. Coached in college for nine years, he was a run game coordinator at UCLA from 2012 to 16. They have not been a great team in those years, but I'm not going to put that on him. And I think that uh, yeah, it was good to hear that they got the guy in the building nice and early so that they can. um you know, keep continuity, give each lineman a little bit more time and, and, and Saret, however you, you know, Sarrette, maybe we should call him Sean Sarrette if we want to Frenchify his name, but you can let him focus on some other larger concepts instead of just simply having to run linemen through individual drills constantly. He might have a little bit more to do with the run game planning. Sean Sarrette, if Clem Uh can take care of some of the sort of day-to-day activities.
1: You're going to want to go to the website and take a good look at Adrian because it looks like, Worst case, we put him on the roster and he'd be a backup. He is a big man.
0: The bigger the better. They need someone the former player so that they can.
1: So breaking news from the AAF game, Birmingham remains firmly in control of the game, nine to nothing with a minute left in the first half. <laughs> Thrilling. Uh, you know what this is like? This is like a better version of that electronic football game I had we had in, as kids in the sixties and seventies where you set the guys up. But this moves so much more smoothly. You'll want to check that out. So the American Alliance, you know what? I, I, I read about it a little bit. They do consider themselves a developmental league for the NFL, which is, you know, not I didn't I wasn't aware of that before I did a little research. They've got a uh, some differences, right? Ten game season. And I'm just reading off some of the, the differences. No sure. kickoff league. They're going to start the ball at the 25. Smart. And no extra point kicks. Everybody's going for two points after every touchdown. And the perspective on that, like, well, I think that's great. But somebody said that takes away an option. It doesn't make the two-point play as exciting as it otherwise would have been. It looks like a bigger risk. Well, there's no bigger risk when there's no option. Right. I don't know. I, I mean, the whole k- kicking actually doesn't make that. T- I know it's football. The kick never really made that much sense to me because well, the kicker's such an oddball on a team anyway.
0: Well, it looks like, yeah, it's funny. Maybe like, punters. The, uh, the NFL doesn't want the game to be in the hands of kickers, you know, non football players, really. And then they change rules to make it so that more of the game goes into the kicker's hand or onto the kicker's foot, if you will. But it seems like one of the things the American Alliance of Football is trying to do is sort of cut out all the dead time in football. That's a good competitive advantage that they could get. The constant commercials, I'm sure they have less commercials in the NFL, obviously. And then kickoffs are absolutely pointless now. We're pretty sure they'll be gone out of the NFL before too long. Take that away. The extra point, take that away. I Because, again, that's another – You know, somebody scores a touchdown and it's five minutes before you see the first down snap for the next team between that extra point, the inevitable touchback on the kickoff and then the commercials. I think that's really smart for them to do that, to try and hold people's attention, because that's one of the barriers to people getting into football is all that dead space that's in there. But I'm with you. I don't I don't mind them taking away the extra point. What that really does is it just puts a greater emphasis on goal line offense and goal line defense. And, And to me. That's great. That, that puts the, ha- the game into the hands of the football players a little bit more.
1: So to your point about speeding up the game, the other thing they're doing is handling the officiating differently. We just saw a tweet where they had a, a, a split screen clip of a sort of a sideline reception that was called, called a reception. And they actually show a video of the booth replay official, the official replay booth.
0: Yeah, booth and relay. the audio. You could hear the conversation and, that the referees have,
1: Yeah, and he actually walks through why that wasn't reception, so th- that's interesting, and it's pretty transparent. You know what the you don't get behind a hood, you don't have a little huddle in the middle of the field where nobody hears anything. It's a direct direct uh, feed from that replay official, which was interesting.
0: Yeah, you don't want to be those officials, <laughs> and, and everyone can really trash you for your decision making. I wonder if some of them, you know them going under the hood, it actually adds drama, and you'll realize that you actually miss it. Once it's gone, you get to hear Tony Romo talking to Jim Nance about what the heck's going on. You get to argue with your bro on the couch, what's going on, or do you want to hear what these guys have to actually have to say for total transparency? To me, it sounds like it sucks for the refs because there's really no hiding for them now.
1: Yeah, but you get to hear some rules you might not otherwise. Hey, this is really well, interesting. I, like I told you, I told you about this um, live data stream on the website. You know how they do that? Every player has a chip in his helmet and it's being transmitted in real time so they can track these guys and you're not actually watching video you're just watching basically a cartoon with moving pieces but they're making this thing really interesting from a data standpoint and they have a relationship with uh, some gaming organization so you're not going to be able to bet on the alliance app but you'll be able to bet on plays predicting where they'll go and who will get the ball so this this will be really interesting from a fan interaction standpoint
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. I I like what they're doing from that standpoint. And the first game was really successful. I think the first XFL game back in the day was really successful as well. I know that they um, tested better in the ratings than the NBA primetime game between the Thunder and the Rockets. So it was a good start already, but it seems like whenever these football leagues start up that there is a general level of interest. And I like what you said at the beginning um, about how the AAFL – man, that's just a horrible acronym. Uh, uh, it's really a stuttering <laughs> Aff, to say yeah. it. Jeez, these football players making decisions. Maybe you should have gotten a, you know, a writer or something. Maybe a marketer, marketeer. As I sit here and assume that they didn't do any of that, and it was just a bunch of guys having beers. <laughs> but they, hey, did Why don't we go with that? Why don't we just call it Apple? It's it's, kind of it's no league. Out. It's
1: just the A. Pretty hey. annoying yeah. here
0: on headphones. Sorry. The oh, it's the A. F. There's no L.
1: Noel, Noel. Hey, before we get to what this, what this league might do, it's interesting. You, you pointed out the connections with former Steelers, and, and Troy is the head of player relations. Yeah. Hines is the head of football development. Let me tell you what their job descriptions are, and you tell me what the difference is. Troy will work closely with players, ensuring they have the tools and resources needed to excel on and off the field. Mm-hmm. Hines will mentor players and work closely with senior liter- leadership to develop and uphold policies that set players up for success where on and off the field.
0: That's uh, totally different. I mean, Heinz is mentoring and Troy's working closely with them. So, right. I don't hey, know so
1: one other, uh, one other little claim to fame from a former Steeler, Terrence Garvin has Ooh. the first interception in AF history and he followed <laughs> it up with a pick AF. six interception. So two interceptions in that game, one return for a touchdown.
0: How, so how crazy is that? By the way, I played against Terrence Garvin in high school. Tried to tackle him. First play of the game, they called a sweep. He went to Loyola-Blakefield in Baltimore. That team was dirty. We played them in the last game of the season. They pummeled us into the ground. And Terrence Garvin, first play of the game. I was playing corner on defense at, that, at the time. And pitched to the left, right over to my side. I see it before it's happening. I see the lineman pulling. I scoot in right there behind the receiver ducked that block couldn't get this guy nope and i went in and i realized man i'm about to tackle i didn't know his name at the time but basically xerxes is what we were calling him in practice because the man towered above everybody he's like a 6-3 running back it was odd but i'm about to tackle xerxes for a five-yard loss on the first play easy dive at his legs go for it and i this was the one time i had this experience usually if you miss the tackle you know it's happening but as far as I was concerned, I was in the air, wrapping up his legs, and I looked up, and he was already like 15 yards downfield. I don't know. Did I black out for a moment or something? But that shows you. That's the difference between the NFL and high school because Terrence Garvin did not have a successful NFL career. I mean, of course, he made some impacts on special teams, sure, but your goal is to be a starting linebacker. This guy looks like he's a superstar on the apple, so it really shows you Wow, this is crazy. To, to, to become a successful, consistent NFL player, it's just outrageous. Because look at, the, I mean, Terrence Garvin's playing against other people who are superstars in college and everything like that in high school. And the guy has two picks. He's a dominator. He's Ryan Shazier in the AFL, but he can't get a defensive snap in the NFL for any team. Crazy.
1: A lot and this of talent is why your there. kid will never play in the NFL. Hey, so one other interesting fact: I was wondering how much these guys get paid. They all get—they're going to get a three-year non-guaranteed contract worth two hundred fifty thousand. So that's kind non- of interesting.
0: Would uh, I guess guarantee. There's no guarantees uh, or
1: just non-guaranteed contract. So you know, NFL. eighty thousand dollars a year for ten games—not bad. I guess that's practice squad money generally. But it's interesting that everybody's getting the same amount of money: right. quarterback, lineman, what have you.
0: Well, let's be honest. They don't have anybody pulling us in to see a game. So you can, I I mean, I can. Sorry, you broke up right there if I was talking over you.
1: That was all I was saying.
0: Well, uh, it makes sense to me that they're paid the same. I mean, what are you going to do? Pay Matt Sims more because he's the brother of Chris Sims, who's the son of Phil Sims? Like, there's nobody who's really drawing names. If they could get a Johnny Manziel (laughs) or somebody like that, you know, somebody with a name, maybe they could draw people. But back to what I was saying before. I like I like how they are considering themselves a developmental league because I think it's naive for football leagues to start up and think that they're going to overtake the NFL. There's just – I just don't see any way that the, that could happen unless that league was able to usurp the best players from the NFL because people want to see the best players in the world. Um and, And when you watch college, it's like those are the best people in the world who are eligible to play college football. But you don't watch D2 no matter how good those teams are, if they're winning championships, this or that, because it's just not that compelling. So I think the same thing happens with the NFL when you get these backup leagues. It's not that compelling knowing that you're watching the B team, the C team, the D team. But you definitely can get people to really going to showcase their skills, if they get buried on depth charts in the NFL, they can use these other platforms as a jumping off point, just like Tommy Maddox did in the XFL. Came to the Steelers and... Played very well for the Steelers. All things considered, you know, it's so obviously you know Ben Roethlisberger. But as far as most people have played quarterback in the NFL, he had some success. And the XFL is what he owed that to. Rod Smart, he hate me. There were definitely some guys from that league who went on to have a little success in the NFL, thanks to the XFL.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to see if they're pulling in old veterans or they're really going to limit it to guys who could potentially jump to the NFL. Um, I don't I don't know if this, this wouldn't be compelling. I mean, there are minor league hockey teams and there are minor league baseball teams who have a, a loyal following. The question is whether the cities, or the, the markets they're in, will support them. So I think we could talk about a few reasons that this league will fail and then a few reasons why the league might succeed. And when you look at the markets they're in, the small markets being Salt Lake, Salt Lake City, Birmingham, Orlando, frankly, is actually – it's it's you know it's a well-known city, but it's not that huge from a permanent population standpoint. Right, and I wonder. I don't know if this is relevant because Green Bay has 17 people who live there, and that's a very very um, well-supported team. But the small market aspect could break either way, I think. And then you have the the bigger markets there in Arizona, Atlanta, and San Diego. And the question is, are those markets just exhausted? And when I think of San Diego, I think of the San Diego Los Los Angeles sort of mega loop and No teams seem to. I mean, there's a lot of teams, there's a lot of competition there. I'm resting my case.
0: No, you're right. I mean, it's hard to compete with, you know, the Arizona Cardinals or the San Diego, like you said, with the teams trying to get traction in the mega loop around San Diego and Los Angeles. Los Angeles has had so many teams come and go over the years that they're never able to crack in to that Los Angeles Laker or Dodger fandom, or even the Kings and hockey to that standpoint. So if the NFL teams aren't working, you know, how are they going to do um, here? Although we know that San Diego is, is super bummed about losing the Chargers. So you think maybe could these guys swoop in or are you, or is this another thing where it's like, I don't want I don't want the B team. Um, are you, so you said that they're compelling. Maybe you're, maybe I need to rephrase myself. You said that there's, minor league baseball minor league hockey and stuff like that okay sure maybe the infrastructure can survive um but i guess i was just thinking from the standpoint could a league like this ever compete with the nfl and i don't think so i think sure there could be they could be sustainable and exist for a while and maybe give people um sort of this farm system type experience maybe some guys can make some money off of it but i don't think anything is ever going to come even remotely close to the popularity and the money-making that the NFL has.
1: We agree with that, um, at least in the foreseeable future. But whether or not it can survive is another matter. I think we have too many examples of failed leagues. The the longest – actually, the longest surviving league, the indoor league, the Arena Football League, started in 1987. It's still going. I don't know going strong, but obviously still in existence. The other long-lived league was supported by the NFL, and that was the NFL Europe league from 1991 to 2007 the other thing we have to keep in mind is the xfl is coming back in yeah. february 2020 so we will have three competing leagues in one year and the XO- xfl if you remember lasted one year and that was 2001 and they had a crazy gambit of gadgetry and yeah. rules and chaos that uh, never seemed to connect
0: Well, those definitely won't work in this social climate, in the uh, post-CTE climate. So I think that they are going to take the focus away from some of the kooky rules that they tried to do last time. But it seems like the first weekend of the AAFL, and I'm going to keep calling it the AAFL until I remember to just call it the AF. But it seems like the first weekend has been going pretty well. There's a little bit of sloppy play, but the popularity – I mean, the interest has been high for the first week, and it sort of seems like the XFL is sort of unnecessary at this point. Like how much are you going to water down these talent pools? Like I said, the big issue with these leagues and the inherent issue with other leagues outside of the NFL is you're just not getting the best players, and you're not even getting close to the best players. You're not even getting the second or third best players you're getting super backups. So the fact that the XFL, now there's two options for that. I just think it waters down the talent even more, but I guess we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. So we're getting a dilution of talent. Interestingly, the Orlando game got 20,000 people at their first game and San Antonio got 27. And again, one data point doesn't make a trend It is the first game. And I'm sure there's just a lot of curiosity about there. Yeah. But interesting. they They drew that. So some on the positive side, I think there, you know, they did they did some market studies, and there is demand, at least a stated demand, in each of these cities. And um, look at San Antonio; that's a much bigger city than I thought. It's like the seventh largest city. It's a million people there, and Memphis, Memphis is in the same ballpark. The other thing they're trying to do is, rather than draft, they're putting they're allocating rosters based primarily on where players are at college, so they're getting at least oh, known cool. locally known talent there.
0: That's smart. And
1: and the other thing I noticed is you've got CBS, the NFL Network, interestingly, and TNT broadcasting games. So yeah. I think there's some firepower there. It has a potential. It'll be interesting for us to sort of track. I mean, obviously, we're not going to have a team we're going to follow that closely. But we'll, we'll keep our finger on the pulse of the af.
0: Yeah, and we've probably spent way too much time talking about the AF here, so we promise never to speak about it again to you guys. But it is interesting on the first week. I guess the only way that it could become truly relevant in my eyes is if, <laughs> if there was some sort of miracle and uh, the NFL lockout, which we are all anticipating, what is it, 2020 or 2021, during the next collective bargaining agreement, there is uh, almost definitely going to be a lockout. Between the players and the owners, the Players Association is um, expected to hold out to try and get, you know, basically more guaranteed contracts and more protection for their players, maybe more medical care. And they screwed the last negotiations so badly. We in Pittsburgh got to experience experience the benefits of that with our own Le'Veon Bell getting – Backed into to a corner with multiple franchise tags, I'm sure they'll try and get the franchise tag out of there. But, um, yeah, do you think that there's any chance that like these leagues are starting up at this time to prepare for that potential lockout on the horizon and see if they could land any big fish like great players from the NFL to get themselves going? I don't think they can, but I wonder if they if these leagues believe that they could get Sam Darnold to go play over there, or, you know, whoever Saquon.
1: I don't think the money's big enough. I think that the guys that you would attract already have contracts and have money that they can wait it out. You know that any kind of lockout, worst case, lasts a season. And I don't think it'll last half a season.
0: You don't? How long do you think it would last? I
1: think it would last through October. I I just don't think – here's the problem with the lockouts from the the player standpoint. It's just the imbalance of economic power. You have – First of all, you have a lot of billionaires who own teams, right? And or you have multiple multiple team owners. There are a relatively few number of, you know, true millionaire players who can actually withstand one of these things. Most of these yeah. players are transient. They come in, what's what's the minimum? Like four hundred, four hundred and ten thousand dollars? So many of these players, you know, this is the I biggest know. money they're gonna make in their lifetime. They've got a three year lifespan. There's no way this is why college players can't unionize. There's too much transient too much transience in the system. So who's got the interest, who's going to hold out. Is there, is there a war chest for these players to even withstand any kind of lockout?
0: Yeah. Doubtful. And then they've tried people I've tried before. And, but like you said, I mean, there's a lot of guys, you know, I just, uh, there's a lot of guys who are at the bottom there who cannot afford, who literally cannot afford monetarily to wait. And I don't see a guy like Tom Brady, <laughs> locking out or Ben or even the people who are making a ton of money I think they'll make a stand but they want to play football those guys at the very very top those guys are actually I think you know still building their legacies and the money parts already taken care of they don't they want to take a year off I'm sure they would take a stand at some point but I just there that just leaves me with you know groups at the very top and the very bottom who is really going to lock out for a long time it could only be like maybe like the jujus and Saquon's of this world who are young enough to where a where a lockout wouldn't, you know, affect their like they're young enough where they could withstand a lockout and they're also not making enough money yet because they're still going off of their rookie contracts. Maybe not Saquon, he obviously makes a lot, but Juju, second round guy, you know, he would want to lock out for longer guarantees. Otherwise Saquon's like, well I'm already making the money. Why would I stop? I just started. So
1: well, look yeah. at with, you know how many. What kind of effect will the Le'Veon Bell his holdout have? Will it have anys any relevance? The guy did have a lot of money. He did make a lot of money. What did did he make?
0: Fourteen fourteen 5. million. Oh, yeah, so 12. he had well,
1: some money to sit on.
0: It was twelve twelve point five the first one. He was going to make fourteen point five, and he he did not but he was to, sitting to
1: on a lot of money i, I mean still yeah. you know it's all it's all relative there there is mental poverty if you're a millionaire and you don't make a million the next year that is mental poverty i just wonder if he will inspire any kind of movement i mean oh, it I will be so. 2 years past Well, look, when he it's didn't hold now. out
0: he didn't hold out for the first franchise tag he made sure he made the 12 million because he was a second round guy so he wasn't even making a million a year or anything like that Or i don't know exactly what he was making but he wasn't making big time money and he played that franchise tag, got that twelve million, and then he did the holdout. so that kind of tells you everything you need to know, right
1: yeah he had he had money to sit on
0: that's the upper five percent of the nFL if not higher you know sure
1: and the and the bottom line, the problem other than the transients of the players, sort of the economic imbalance is the lack of other outlets. This isn't the nBA this isn't basketball where there are plenty of outlets to play. You might not want to play in Turkey, but you can still make money in Europe, in the Far East. You could right. even play hockey. You could play baseball outside of the U.S. There's someplace else to go, at least for a, a decent proportion of the players. And that, my friend, brings me to the antitrust issue, which really ticks me off. I mean, I love – you know what? I think this really works to the NFL's benefit and the fans' benefit. I'm sorry, not the NFL's benefit. The fans' benefit because uh-huh. we there is no dilution of power. You have the very best players in the world who know about football. Playing football in the NFL, if you have a lot of competition, obviously, like good competition, that's going to dilute the players. On the other hand, the NFL can um, not be very responsive. Look at all the officiating problems we've seen over the last two years.
0: Right. Um, The monopoly, I guess, you know, there's no fire lit under their butt. But like you said, that mental poverty of of billionaires wanting to make more money. Seems to motivate them enough, right? They want to make it as as good as they can, as competitive as they can, whatever they have to do. If they have to take away all the rules for the defense so that they get the ratings up, they'll do that. So it is in their best interest to improve the game. But yeah, I I mean that just the antitrust issues speaks to the fact that I just it doesn't seem likely that there would ever be another competing league that could rise up against it. And I agree with you. It's not just stacked
1: because of that. It's not stacked because the NFL currently has all the cards. Congress has passed laws. So I did a little digging and there have been some victories against the NFL. And it started with big Bill Radovich. All five, mm-hmm. 861 pounds of him. He was a guard who came out of USC in 1938 and he signed with the Detroit Lions. And back, that was back before the draft, and he chose the Lions because that's the only team in the league that guaranteed players a job in the offseason. A big deal. Um, so Big Bill plays for two years. And what does he do? What do you do in 1940 if you're an American man? You go to war, yeah. you get on a battleship in the South Pacific. And you shoot down some zeros and you fight for five years. And then what do you do? You come back to the United States of America and you get right back into football. And he goes, so the problem is he, his dad was deathly ill, I believe, and living in California at the time. So he goes to the Lions owner, Fred Middell, and asks him to either trade him to the LA Rams or pay him more so he can get home more frequently to see his dad. Guess what Fred said? Fred said, play in Detroit or you won't play anywhere. Fortunately, Radovich finds a, a a rogue league, the All-American Football Conference in Los Angeles, and he played there for two years. The guy was making $300 a game, which probably wasn't chump change back then. But he leaves to go to an NFL affiliate, which is basically kind of a minor pro football league in San Francisco. As soon as they heard about the, the blacklist, uh, Radovich was out. He was waiting on tables. So that showed the power of the NFL even back then. Interestingly, Radovich got a job as a waiter at the Brown Derby, probably something you hadn't heard of, but it's a pretty famous restaurant out there in L.A. And he met an antitrust litigator from the Justice Department who heard his story and basically mapped out a legal strategy for Radovich. And Radovich sues. It goes from one case, to one court to the next. And finally, it reached the Supreme Court in 1955. This is like seven years later. This guy really put his nose to the grindstone to chase this down. And the Supreme Court concluded that the antitrust laws applied to football. There was an exemption for baseball specifically. This is the same situation, but somehow baseball got a pass because of a previous court case. But the Supreme Court said that football could not was subject was subject to the antitrust litigation. So they sent the court the case back to district court, and eventually Radovich settled out of court for forty two thousand dollars. But he never played again. So this is interesting. Radovich gets this out-of-court settlement, and six years later, there was another court case that ruled against the NFL, who was trying to get exclusive TV rights from CBS, and the courts ruled that it was illegal because it violated antitrust laws. Well, lobbying Congress was an art back then as it is now. Congress passed the Sports Broadcasting Act of 1961, which permitted the teams to basically collude and get these exclusive contracts. And the problem was, it's a recognized fact that the franchises it's not a fact. But I mean, the way they, this was interpreted is the teams might be competitive from a sports perspective, but they weren't business competitors. If you're a competitor, a competitive business, you can't collude with another business. That is, that is illegal. That is what the antitrust law applies to, But right. they got a pass because of this sports broadcasting act. And what's really kind of irritating is that in one case, they're held out as not being competitors for, this, for means of this, for the sake of these TV contracts, but they are allowed to black out games so they don't have competition from other teams in their city if they don't have a sold-out game. So they're playing it both ways. You know, On one hand, you're saying, well, we're not really business competitors, but yet we have to black out games because we don't want that competition in our city. So that, that actually kind of makes me a little crazy. The one other victory that I found in the last couple of decades is in 2010, the Supreme Court ruled against the NFL. It, up until then, it had many companies supplying it with the swag, you know, the sweatshirts, the caps. But in that yep. year, they negotiated an exclusive contract with Adidas. And the um, Supreme Court ruled against that and said they violated antitrust laws. Adidas was going to go for – I mean, NFL, what they saw was the growing – demand for sweatshirts and caps, everything with logos. So yeah. a small company called American Needle, who had produced the, the jerseys and the caps for you know decades and basically got squeezed out because they couldn't bid enough for this exclusive contract, went to court. And thank goodness these guys were tenacious. I mean, it took years, but they finally won a Supreme Court case um, claiming antitrust. So there you have it. The long, boring legal story of the NFL and antitrust laws. So it just sort of irritates me.
0: Yeah, no, it's so interesting to see how it's gotten to this. And I I have sort of conflicting opinions on it. In one way, you know, I do want the NFL to be the only league. I only want – to see the best premium players competing against each other and i think that's one of the issues with soccer is that there's so many leagues and you play for your national team your home team and you play for the chump league but if you win that you go to the champions league i like seeing the best competition every week and that's one of the things that makes the nfl so awesome it's the best of the best and they only play 16 game regular seasons so everything it does everything doesn't just mean something everything means a lot every play can change the course of a whole season can change the course of a whole uh, franchise permanently. But my issue, of course, you know, from a legal standpoint, it's pretty gross to see what they do to weasel their way around these type of things and create a monopoly. I just wish, you know, I'm more focused currently on how they treat their players, and the lack of guaranteed contracts, and the lack of personal marketing, and stuff like that. But it is so interesting to see how thorough this this runs, and the NFL's owners' ability to monopolize and control all the cash flow
1: for these things. Well, look, I'll, I'll give you the other side of that argument. About the, you think you're getting the best of the best players, which is true. But that that is. Uh, sort of a a legal twist. I mean, if you want the best of the best, then you want competition. Look at your cable care before you guys had all these you kids, you kids and your internet before the internet that you was able to stream video, you're connected to network television then cable and everybody complained about their cable supplier. Things started getting better when there was competition. And I would, I would submit your honor that if there was competition for football, you would have guaranteed contracts for NFL players. You would still, if you put a good product on the field and you brought in the money, you would get the best players. And players could be protected, fans could have reasonable prices, and you still have a great product. Do you? So all those are- things you're complaining about, nobody has to worry about injuries. Nobody has to really worry about paying off of these old players who got CT and and so forth, because there is nobody, no advocate
0: for them and no outlet, no competition. I just think that there's only a there is a finite number of best players in the world, and there's not other best players in the world that we're not finding or something like that. Sure, you if there were some other people with opportunities, you'd see some players like a Tommy Maddox who might succeed in an XFL or an AFL or whatever the hell they're calling it. But to me, if I'm if I'm removing the morality out of the out of the discussion. If you create more leagues, they're watered down in terms of talent. Sure, you can afford games more or this or that. But to me, that's what you get in Europe with all the different soccer leagues where half of the teams, and if not 80% of the teams, are totally useless. It's like, we want to see Ronaldo play against Messi. Oh, they're not playing in the same league this year. or you know. And that, to me, is, is more what I was speaking to from the standpoint of there aren't like other Saquon Barkleys that we don't know about out there i like seeing everybody in the same league and i like this idea of the developmental leagues like the AFL and the xfl that are starting up to hopefully get some of the guys that slid in between the cracks
1: so if we're speaking about the f what's your bet well, how man, it'll do
0: man i do know one thing i'll be tuning into the AFL for and that's to play some major bets on Matt sims, baby. And when I place them, I'm going to place them on my bookie because my bookie offers betters in all major markets and entertaining lineup of gaming options. You can bet on fantasy scores, you can bet on over unders, you can bet on prop bets. You know, will Tom Brady look like a douche during the game? I bet, yes, he will while he's winning more Super Bowls than. I've never watched my team play in. But either way, you can bet on all kinds of stuff. And if you visit mybookie.ag online today, you can use the promo code OUTPOST25 when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. You play, you win, you get paid. Yeah, and
1: my if look. you're interested, the Salt Lake Stallions play at the Arizona Hotshots this evening, and there is a line on that game. So that AF... The AF has its own line in my bookie. You can bet on all those games and in-game betting. They're on it. I think we're – yeah. So last year, we made some some draft evaluations. We did a lot of work last year. You did a lot of work in particular, and I just thought it might be interesting to briefly revisit some of those positions and see where those players ended up. And let's just do the easy ones, the running backs and the quarterbacks, because we had – First on our draft board was Saquon, not for the Steelers. I mean, we knew we weren't going to get these guys. We were just trying to see who would be successful. And out of the gate, we have Saquon Barkley.
0: Well, Saquon Barkley, and without being hyperbolic, Saquon Barkley, if everything broke right for him already, I'm telling you, this guy could be the greatest running back in the history of the NFL. I'm not prisoner of a moment. I'm not uh, exaggerating. I know a lot of things would need to go right from that. But from a physical standpoint, the man's quickness is absolutely comparable to Barry Sanders or somebody like that. But he is literally twice the size. He's got the long speed of Eric Dickerson. He breaks huge runs. His body, 300, the movie. Did not do justice to Saquon Barkley. They thought, okay, what's the most ridiculous looking bodies we can make? We're going to CGI on the abs and we're going to make men everywhere self-conscious about the, the way they look. And so people would be doing crunches constantly. Nope, you didn't set the bar high enough. You hadn't seen Saquon Barkley. So Saquon has all the skill in the world. He played behind a crap offensive line with a quarterback who could not or did not want to pass the ball more than two yards downfield and still makes magic on a consistent basis. So he is completely as advertised. This is not a Reggie Bush situation, one of my favorite college players of all time besides Larold Fitzgerald. But Reggie, you know, was – he was so incredible in in, in college, but his skill set didn't totally translate to the NFL. So he ended up being a good player in the NFL, but not the superstar that he was in college. Saquon could end up being even better in the NFL than he was in college, which seems impossible. We have some other guys on here. Unfortunately, Darius Geis didn't even get a play with the Redskins this year. I was really looking forward to that. Hopefully his rehab goes well because the Redskins... They're always in disarray. I mean, face it, as long as Dan Snyder's over there, they're going to be screwed. But they do have great offensive and defensive lines, and I could see them becoming a team that could pound the rock with Darius Geis. Sonny Michelle, very highly touted running back, went to the Patriots, did not set the world on fire, but by the end of the year, ended up being kind of the key workhorse for them and um, just showed you that Bill Belichick, always zigs when the nfl is zagging right when we're talking about not having and not wanting to overpay running backs or not wanting to draft them in the first round because they are fungible you can get 80 percent of their production for a 20th of the cost or whatever it is this guy goes out and drafts a running back because he wants a really um i i think he drafted michelle because they usually have a pass-catching running back. They have a battering ram running back for the Patriots, and they'll have a scat back. Well, Michelle kind of has all that in one package, so when you put him in the game, you're not totally telegraphing your hand, even though, ironically, by the end of the year, every time Michelle was in, it was getting handed off, and every time James White was in, they were throwing it. But he uh, helped the the Patriots win the Super Bowl, unfortunately. And then um, Nick Chubb. We did not have a very high grade on him. He has exceeded expectations, unfortunately, in Cleveland. So we'll see how he does next year, Um, now starting that new Browns regime uh, with Baker Mayfield, with Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward. Looks like they obviously had an incredible draft last year. And then the other guys, not too much to say so much about the running backs. Don't spend too much time on it. But, uh, yeah, some real beasts, and it does show you, man, every year. There's legitimate running backs in the draft. And, and and for someone like me who thinks that we should have kept Le'Veon Bell just because he was such a superstar and essential to the DNA and the building of this team, you know, I I I'm at this point, James Conner has totally shown the ability to pick up the pace for Le'Veon and everything like that. And he is another reason among these. Running backs to suggest, like, you just can't pay a Le'Veon Bell $16 million a year because, look, these guys come out every year. There's three, four, or five of them.
1: It was interesting if we move on to the quarterbacks that we, who would have thought we would have ended up with Mason Rudolph when we were doing this analysis? He's the only well, guy who really didn't get field time during the year.
0: Well, I was I'm thinking and we were thinking I was praying that we wouldn't. I still hate the draft pick and that's nothing against Mason Rudolph or it doesn't say anything of his ability to become a good quarterback in the NFL. But I just didn't think it was the right time to draft a guy. And the Josh Dobbs thing like, hey, man, ever since they made that pick, hated the pick, did not like he was horrific in his first year in preseason, his second year in preseason went from horrific to really bad, which somehow gained him the backup job, which of course lost us the game against the Raiders, ladies and gentlemen. Don't look, man, if you did anybody watch preseason when he was in there, he was not good. He cannot play quarterback. He is a big guy who can throw it relatively far. That doesn't mean you're a quarterback. Antonio Brown can throw it far. Antoine Randall was actually a good quarterback in college, and he couldn't even play the position. Uh, what's his face? Dobbs, to me, is just – he's a kind of a Bortles. He's a big athlete guy who can kind of throw, and they put him in, and I still just just seems like two wastes of draft picks third rounders that could be really useful in the secondary and other places where we could have used them by now where you know those third rounders usually it's going to take them a couple years to develop well we'll never know because we have two useless quarterbacks i'm still under the impression that you should when you have a star like ben you let him play out his career you let your team suck the year after he leaves and then you stockpile your draft picks you get a high draft pick You get a great quarterback, and then all the rest of your draft picks for the rounds, like your second rounder basically becomes a first rounder because it's at the top of that. Your third rounder basically becomes a second rounder and so on and so forth. So I rest my case with Mason Rudolph, but Baker Mayfield clearly pulled away from the pack. He had a very Andrew uh, Luck-like rookie season. just seems like, oh, this guy is going to be the guy, unfortunately, for Cleveland. I think he just obviously stood out far in front of these other guys who played this year.
1: So we'd like to hear what you think about the AF. We'd like to know whether you think this is going to go more than a year. And if so, how long do you think it'll go before it peters out? And there are multiple ways to get a hold of us. You can check us out at Instagram and at Steelers Outpost or hit us up on Twitter. We're still doing a lot of tweeting at Steelers Outpost. Hit the webpage at SteelersOutpost.com or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Uh, I'm going to do a quick update. Birmingham still leads Memphis nine to nothing after three quarters. So hey, until next week. Thanks for listening. Go Steelers.
0: Okay, bye bye.
1: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win!
0: Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all.